Hello, I'm Hilary Robertson. Welcome to the latest episode of Harmonious World. For this episode, I'm joined by bass player David Arend. David is part of the collective Alchemy Sound Project and their latest album, Africa Love, is out now. It's their third album and it is described as an ode to the grandeur of nature, reflections on relationships and a pair of musical tributes. And what it actually is, is five eclectic pieces of music. Each one is composed by the five members of the band. The sessions took place in 2018, but actually the title of the album, Africa Love, relates more to everything that went on in 2020, especially around Black Lives Matter. These five tracks are just beautiful. And I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with David. Welcome to Harmonious World. I'm so grateful to you for giving me some time, David. Thank you. Thank you, Hilary. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, obviously we're talking about Africa Love. And I'm fascinated by this because uh, um, the the collaboration between the five of you. Can, can you talk to me I, I, about how, the, how you started collaborating? Sure. So... We more or less met um, at something called the Jazz Composers Orchestra Institute, um, which is a, a program that was dreamed up by um, Columbia University's uh, jazz program in conjunction with the American Composers Orchestra. And so, but this actually took place in uh, Los Angeles at UCLA. <clears throat> and so this was something that uh, as composers, we, we applied for it, you know, as a selective process, then we were invited to come out. And um, I say that we more or less met here because there's a little more to the story. Um, let me just say that Salim and Sumi and Sam and I were all part of the same J.Coy class. And then Erica Lindsay, our fifth core member, had attended J.Coy in the previous session. Um, but the roots are deeper still. Uh, Samantha is a former student of Erica's. In fact, I believe she was in Erica's first class teaching at Bard College. And uh, Sumi and Erica go back decades as friends and collaborators. So there's a little bit of a web here that already existed. Um, and then the Jazz Composers Orchestra Institute served as the, the real meeting place that kind of brought us together. And um, what was interesting about this program is that they brought jazz musicians in and uh, essentially wanted to uh, bring jazz composers into the classical realm, if you will. Uh, we studied uh, classical orchestration. We looked at, you know, uh, scores. We had presentations from conductors, uh, publishers. Um, I remember instrumentalists, viola, harp, and so forth. And so it was kind of a crash course in classical orchestration and composition. Now, I personally come from a more classical background than my colleagues in the group. I did a classical bass degree at Oberlin College as an undergraduate and at Juilliard as a master's student in classical bass. Um, I had always played jazz throughout those years, but I, I kind of came from a classical background. And my colleagues were really purely coming from more of a jazz uh, background. And so uh, we all became friends and we hung out, you know, and um, we would take these classes together. And then at night we would go and hang out and discuss things and bounce ideas around. So we had a, a really lively um, friendship 
uh, from the very beginning. And so it was a little time after this that Sumi Tanoka, our pianist, suggested that we put a group together. She said, why don't we uh, test this out? Um, you know, we all get along so well away from our instruments. Let's, uh, let's get together. And um, not only that, but let's compose for each other. And so we, we limited the orchestration, that is the instruments that we choose, uh, to the five of us. So right there you have uh, piano, bass, trumpet, and then two reed players, essentially tenor saxophone. But we have Salim doubling on bass clarinet and alto flute and sometimes oboe. And we have uh, Erica Lindsay now also playing clarinet and some alto flute. And then, so there's a quintet, but it's not quite a full jazz uh, situation yet. And so of course you, you might want to add a drummer. And so we did that. And then we decided to add a trombone uh, to kind of round it out so that we have the two brass. And so for each album, we will select a, or I should say we, we will invite um, a drummer and a trombonist to join us. So there, now we have the septet. And then we, so we composed for this uh, jazz septet format. And um, one of the things that we really took from the uh, Jazz Composers Orchestra Institute was uh, this desire to maybe blur the lines between what is composed and what is improvised. And so we've been playing with that in our compositions. Um, and sometimes it might be obvious to you, oh, this is, you know, this is a traditional jazz improvisational moment, or okay, this is clearly notated. But I think sometimes the transitional phases between what's improvised and what's notated is not clear to the listener. Um, and that's something that we're deliberately kind of playing with. And that's been a lot of fun. And, and reviewers and, and audience uh, members are, are giving us feedback that, that, yeah, that we're blurring that line. Yeah. One of the best things I've found about my podcast is that I started off thinking, well, I'm just going to interview as many musicians as I can from all different genres and, and not be prescriptive. But increasingly what's happening is I'm interviewing musicians whose music doesn't fit into one genre. And I think this is a prime example that it kind of crosses everything and in fact I was talking to I can't even remember who it was a few weeks ago and saying that that some of the albums I listen to I think yeah this is this is a shoe in for a Grammy nomination except that where are they going to put it <laughs> <laughs> and we people like listening to music because um, they like knowing what they're listening to and knowing where it fits and sometimes that defies classification and I think this is one of those examples in a I good think that's way. I think that's absolutely that's absolutely right and um, I think as we just move forward in time we're going to see more and more of this uh, in fact you grab any musician out of a rehearsal and ask them what they're listening to and I bet they're listening to a wide range of of music and certainly composers for at least a hundred years and longer have been influenced by other cultures um, whether it's W.C. going to a World's Fair and seeing gamelan music or Stravinsky checking out uh, rhythms from the Caribbean. Um, this cross-pollination has been happening for a long time. 
Um, but I think more and more you, you, you'll find that people are listening to all kinds of music and that that feeds into who they are, uh, you know, as a musician, as a composer, their identity, but maybe more importantly, and touching on what you're saying, the language. What is the language? Um, you know, there is, there is jazz language, there's classical, there's, there's world music, there's rock and roll, there's punk, there's, you know, country, there's so much music. And, and speaking to your point about a, a Grammy nomination and where do you categorize it? That's right. I mean, we have these categories, you know, that are more narrow than perhaps what we're really seeing in, in, in reality, what we're seeing in the world. Um, so who knows if <laughs> what they can do about that. Um, but we're, we're happy to just sort of be whatever we are. And um, it's been an organic process in uh, discovering who we are and, and in writing for each other, encouraging each other. Um, and I think one thing that's interesting about this group is that we have those five uh, core composers writing for each other. And so this latest CD, Africa Love, um, it has five compositions. So you have one composition from each of us. And of course, each one of us is very different coming from our, from our uh, backgrounds and we all connect to jazz in our own way. You know, and so when you listen to this recording, you're gonna hear five very different pieces of music, but to some extent, they do sound like they're cut from the same cloth. And I think that's because of the orchestration. Of course, we have the same, more or less the same instruments from uh, piece to piece, but that you've got the same people, that you have the same kind of personalities. And so, you know, that trumpet, that's always gonna have Samantha's personality, whether she wrote the piece or whether I wrote the piece, you know, and then we kind of push each other a little bit in, in, uh, in, in places where we might not personally have thought to go. Um, so that's been fascinating, I think as a performer, right? Because I'm reading these, these uh, scores from my friends and Salim's asking me to do this and Sumi's asking me to do that. Um, and Eric is asking me to do yet something else, you know, and then I can learn from this, of course. I'm, I'm listening to what they're playing. I'm looking at their scores and that's gonna impact my writing, you know? So it's just this big cauldron of, uh, or I believe Sumi calls it a smorgasbord of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, of flavors and, uh, I sometimes think that's an apt metaphor of uh, food and, and music in the arts is that you can go to various places in the world and kind of taste, you know, an essence of a, of a culture. And that could be ingredients in food or that could be uh, elements in the music or in art or in dance and so or in painting, sculpture. And so this is really kind of a, a kitchen, a cook's kitchen, you know, and, and I think that we have a lot of fun in there. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the process. So obviously some of this is annotated and some of it is improvised. And as you say, that there are times when it's fairly clear what's being improvised, but and other times when it's not clear. But how did the actual process take place? So did, did each one of you turn up with a complete score with marked in bits where the improvisation was going to go and just go there you go you get on with it or was there more collaboration during the recording process yeah that's a great question and it's sort of all of the above so <clears throat> one of the uh, things about this group is that we are all spread out uh, we don't live in the same uh, city or even region we have um, let's see of the five composers we have los angeles seattle washington uh, we have Philadelphia, PA, 
we have uh, New York State, and then we have Salim is over in South Africa. And so uh, it, <clears throat> it's a composer's collective in that we, every few years, we will say, okay, time for a new project. Let's write for each other. And so each one of us will, will compose something and then we will plan a, a meeting. And uh, it's generally in, in the New York area. So the West Coast people go to the East Coast. Salim gets on that long flight from South Africa and uh, he shows up, you know, jet lagged as can be uh, to the first rehearsal. Um, and what we do is we then have <clears throat> generally several days where we take these scores and then we kind of get into a more collaborative uh, process as, as you were just alluding to. And so, yes, we, we have everything written out and we gave the scores to each other, of course, weeks in advance. So we're practicing our parts. Right. We're practicing the notated music. Uh, we're looking at the chord changes, the harmony as the bass player. You know, my role in the jazz band is, is gonna be walking bass lines that follow that harmony. So I need to familiarize myself with what these different composers are gonna be asking of me harmonically. And then they know that I use the bow from my classical background. So they're gonna write, they might write bowed parts for me. So I need to practice those. So we show up and we've done our homework, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And part of that is just talking through uh, things and maybe even rearranging a score uh, to suit someone's uh, habits or proclivities. So um, if there are certain verbal, not verbal, but I should say um, text commands, um, you know, we'll put that in a box or uh, th there are ways that we organize our scores and, and we've all kind of compromised and, and met at a place where we can all understand what each other wants. Um, and we'll talk it through and we'll rehearse. And, uh, and then some things may change. Um, you know, you certainly, each composer has the, has the right and the freedom to uh, make adjustments, uh, but we don't have a lot of time together on the other hand. So we really try to keep things as streamlined as we can. We even have a timer in rehearsals um, and it's like, okay, Sumi, you get 30 minutes, you know, go, teach us your piece and let's work on it. And we do that because the time is limited and the music is hard, it is complicated we could easily spend an hour on, on every piece, um, but we kind of have to streamline it. And then we try to play a live show um, before we go into the studio. And that's wonderful, of course, in, in any music. And I think especially so in jazz, um, when you play the music live to an audience and you're improvising with people in the room, I mean, that there's something that's very touches on, on the heart of, of jazz there. And so that's important that we have that experience and then go into the recording studio, having kind of lived in the world a little bit with the piece, uh, that everything's already been premiered, you know, and then um, you're coming to it with a little bit of a different perspective, a little more experience. And so then we go into the studio and, and again, that's an intense uh, process of getting these five compositions recorded in just two or three days is generally how much time we have. Um, so, it, and, and even in the studio, things can change. Um, we try not to let that happen too much, but you know, part of the magic of improvised music is, is the unexpected. And I think we, we welcome that to a certain extent in our pieces. So it's all about, I think, calculated risks and creating frameworks, creating an architecture that has room to breathe, 
but is still a, uh, has a concise vision. Um, and I think we just try to fulfill that for each other when we get together. That's brilliant. So, so you, you have a clear structure and a process and, and the practice goes into it and everything that, that, that gives you the, the, the dimensions almost that allow you to then do the improvising when, when you need to, because improvising, it's not just kind of, okay, we'll play what you want now. <laughs> I think for some, some people who, for whom jazz is, you know, weird, <laughs> I think that that's think that that's what happens. That it's just you know the 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 pianist gives a nod to the sax player and the sax player just starts improvising and just playing whatever they want. And of course, that's not how it works. You know that the answer to that is, um, or there might be many answers to that. That's a great point that you raise. So certainly, if you're playing in, in a blues band, let's say there's a tradition of the blues and the harmony is going to be fairly predictable in a good way. And then the uh, improvisations are going to be, um, they're gonna be blues inflected, which is to say they're coming from this tradition of the blues. So it, to a certain extent, the choices of the notes that you might play um, are limited. And again, in a good way, you know, it's, it's a language. Um, and so all of us are, are kind of versed in uh, the history of jazz. You know, we've been listening to recordings from, you know, all across the over 100 years that we've had jazz as an art form. And we've all spent time playing in jazz combos, playing these different um, compositions from different eras. So, yes, I play the blues and I've, you know, and I've played Duke Ellington and, and Charles Mingus and Miles Davis and Coltrane and so forth. We, we play all these different um, uh I would almost say subgenres of jazz, yeah. right? And so in each subgenre kind of has its tendencies or language or uh, going back to the food metaphor, spices, flavors, you know? And so, uh, but when you say jazz as a category that encompasses a whole lot of spices and a whole lot of history and a whole lot of uh, possibilities. So, so yeah, getting back to this question of what do you play? when you're improvising, especially if you're playing in a modern context like this, where you know one might say anything goes to a certain extent, uh, anything's possible now, but how do you not just play any note at all? And um, so the truth is that I think each one of us is drawing on our own uh, experiences, playing all this other music across the history of jazz, and then drawing on our own sort of proclivities and, and habits and uh, you know uh, tendencies as as composers and as improvisers um, in terms of how, what notes might come easily and quickly under our fingers, what comes naturally to me might come natural. Something else might be natural for someone else. Um, so it's very personal. But then um, to further kind of nail down this this question. Um, there are times when we absolutely do have the names of the chords written on the sheet music, you know? And so there's this chord progression happening. And as a bass player, I'm going to outline those harmonies and the piano player is going to outline those harmonies. And then the improviser, which could be me or the pianist or, or trumpet or saxophone or something, they're going to follow those chords. And they're, so they're choosing notes that fit within those chords um, 
And then uh, what's interesting about this is that oftentimes those chord progressions are not just coming out of the sky, but they are built upon the history of jazz. And so there might be a section of a piece that really feels like Coltrane from the 1960s or you know something that really harkens back to Charles Mingus in the 1950s. Um, and so we're all kind of aware of that. And I think at this point, it's almost, it's unconscious. It's sort of, you know, it's just deep within us because we've been playing this music. We've been listening to this music for decades. And so it's, uh, it's fairly intuitive. Um, but I just wanted to add this. There are spots where we play whatever we want. We actually do. And um, that, I guess the technical term would be free jazz. You know, that it's just free improvisation that you have a blank page in front of you. Um, and that's of course risky. You know, who knows what anyone's gonna play. I don't know what I'm going to play in that uh, setting. And then we have more than one instrument doing it. So, and, and so we use this, we've used this in some of our Alchemy Sound Project compositions. And I can be specific about, about my composition on Africa Love, which is called The Fountain. It was inspired just by this idea of gushing water um, I was thinking about water on a larger scale, but then I also thought about the, the, the microscopic level and the, the molecules and so forth. So I was playing with that in the composition, but then in the middle of the piece, we have a, a truly free improvisation. And so you've set, the, you've set the tone, you've kind of set the stage by whatever was happening before that, uh, the introduction, and, and there's actually a, another improvisation that happens before that, but then we kind of, the floor drops out, you know, and you kind of fall into this, you kind of free fall. And at that point we have drums, bass and piano, the, the classic, uh, what's called the rhythm section, the piano trio, which is sort of the, the backbone of many uh, jazz combos. And so it's the three of us. And the way it shapes up when we give it a listen is that uh, the pianist, in, in this case, she's very much leading and the drummer has this kind of fire going on and I'm listening to both of them and they're, we're all listening to each other and bouncing off of each other's ideas. So Sumi might pick up a little motif on the piano and then I hear that and I reflect it in my bass playing. I might not quote it exactly, but I'm listening to a shape and I'm responding to a shape. And then the drummer hears this and he creates a shape. I, I think shapes are, are a good way of looking at this also, um, although it's an abstract you know, thing that we're talking about. But if you were to notate the music, you would see these shapes, you would see these little cells, these little uh, ideas. And so what's so exciting, I think about um, free improvisation live is that, or, you know, is that uh, you don't know what, what's happening. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what anyone else is going to do, but you are just trying to be in the moment and relaxed so that your, your mind is kind of open you know, that there's no sort of anxiety, although maybe the music, maybe anxiety is an appropriate, is an appropriate feeling in a certain moment. You could bring anything to it. And so we have this uh, improvisation of my piece. And then the way I had written it was, okay, there's the, there's the free improvisation trio. And then the saxophone player comes in and the piano drops out. And then that goes to a whole other level. Um, and, and then the saxophone is leading us and we're, we're bouncing around with, with her. And then it goes, we cue 
the notated section again. So we kind of come out of this free form into the, those water molecules again, the very precise structures and then the gushing water of, of the group playing together. So that's how it works in my composition. But if you look at different pieces on, on our various albums, there, there are different moments and different, um, different ways in which we use free improvisation. And it's usually for a, just a short period of time. It's usually maybe 10, 15 seconds. On my piece, I think it's more like a minute or, or even a couple of minutes where we're in that free place. Um, so yeah, and in those moments, anything goes. Um, but again, we are thinking as composers. So we, you know, and so we want there to be some cohesion. Uh, although if you wanted it to be, you know, incomprehensible, you could make it that way. I mean, that's an aesthetic. Uh, and if the music goes there, sure, we could step into incomprehensible if you like. <laughs> um, but I think we're all thinking as composers and we're listening as composers. And so we almost can't help but uh, build these structures, listening to each other, playing off each other. And that's where it becomes a little blurry because we're, we're improvising as a composer would compose, right? And so those, those structures, which seem calculated, might not be as calculated as you think they are or as they sound. And then of course, we're kind of moving across that continuum between fully notated and fully uh, abstract. Yeah, and when you're, when you're in that free section, you're obviously, you're not only um, inspired by the other musicians around you, both physically and audibly, but also you're influenced by the music that has gone before and what you know is coming up afterwards. You cannot help but make this part of, you know, so it's free, it's, it, it might be completely free, but it's free within that track, within that single composition, in the way that another free piece would be free within that composition. That's right. So the word free is a bit misleading. It's, uh, it's contextualized. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. Gosh, that's brilliant. Thank you for giving us that insight. I think it's, it's really helpful because I know that some of my listeners are not musicians, that they are people who enjoy music, but, but it's a, um, almost like a you know, mystical art. And I think it's, it's a really interesting to hear from it's been particularly in your in, in in your case because this is a group of musicians but who are also all of the comp all the composers as well you know it's not like you're the composer and everybody else is playing what you've written there's there's that interlacing all the time between composition and performance which is fascinating that's right it makes for an interesting mix in the group and then i think the albums are, are interesting because you don't have five pieces by one person. You have all these different uh, perspectives, you know, one after the other. It, you know, it's interesting to, to listen to the CD, actually. I enjoy having some space from it, having recorded it, and then uh, coming back to it and giving it a listen with fresh ears. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. That's brilliant. Fantastic. How was your, or how is your pandemic experience? How has it been? Um. I think it's been difficult for everyone. It's certainly been difficult for artists. Um, it's been difficult for a performing artist, you know, because um, the venues have been closed and we haven't been able to, to communicate with audiences 
in the in the manner that we normally do. Um, we've certainly done our best uh, to 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 make it through, to muddle through. Um, there have been a lot of online, you know, projects as you can imagine, and virtual concerts, you know, Zoom performances and, and pre-recorded concerts, and so forth, and, and that's been really good. Um, and uh, I know that there's been a lot of composing going on. So I personally, my, my arc through the pandemic was that it was, it was really tough and confusing at the beginning, which I think it was for everyone. We didn't know what, this, uh, what we were dealing with in terms of you know, this virus that, you know, that was affecting, was gonna go on to affect pretty much the whole, the whole planet. Um, and so that was a very scary time, I think, for a lot of people. And I wasn't very motivated as, as, as an artist during that time. I was just trying to find out how I was gonna get food. And uh, you know, living in Los Angeles, we had some pretty strict uh, lockdowns. Um, and so uh, that was the whole process. How do I just live from day to day? Um, and then as I sort of developed some habits and, and figured that out, then I started to open up again to composing but I wasn't thinking of composing in, for large groups. Um, I was just thinking of really small, you know, like solo bass or duets. So I, I composed a bunch of bass duets. Um, you know, I, it, there was no indication of how long the pandemic would last. And I think we still don't really know. Um, so I thought I would write for smaller groups because it would be easier to, to put those together to actually, you know, get together with one other bass player and play some music as opposed to writing a piece for orchestra. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, um, and what was wonderful was that we had recorded this, oh, this touches on a question you asked earlier. We had recorded this album back in uh, 2018, um, most of it. We actually had just a few other parts that needed to be overdubbed, but we did the, the bulk of the recording, you know, several years ago. And so we were just bringing the pieces together and editing the album when the pandemic struck. In fact, uh, I remember that um, I was here in Los Angeles with a friend and colleague, uh, Timo Chen, who was doing the editing of the album. And I was over at his apartment and we were listening and talking and shaping the, the mix. And uh, we got a result that we really liked and we gave each other a high five. And then we looked at each other and we ran towards different sinks and washed our hands. Yeah, <laughs> because we weren't supposed to be touching other people, you know, and that was just, and that was right at the very beginning of the pandemic. And, and it was sort of a, a funny moment, but um, sort of a sad, you know, reality also. And so, um, and so basically the pandemic struck and then I had the time to, you know, shape the album. I sent the, the, uh, the, um, um, the initial uh, mix off to uh, New York city where I have a wonderful, um, two wonderful, actually, uh, mixing engineers, uh, Ulrike Schwartz and Jim Anderson. And um, they uh, worked some magic with the, the mixing of the album and they sort of uh, enhanced the colors, if you will. I don't know how else to describe uh, audio engineering. Um, they're not changing the music, but they're just helping with the color. And, um, and so they did a beautiful job. And then they send it back to me and I listen to it and the band makes comments and there's room for a little more shaping. Um, and then we send it to another engineer called a mastering engineer. And that's for me, that's Alan Silverman in New York City. He's 
fabulous. And he, I, again, I couldn't begin to describe what he's doing, um, but it's magical. And he's balancing out uh, the various uh, volume levels. Uh, that's also what happens in the mix, but it's so you have a, a more uniform uh, album so that one song isn't much louder than another one. You know, they're basically balancing things and balancing colors um, and so forth. And so then we have an album. Um, but of course we need the artwork. And we've been very lucky to work with uh, Peggy July, who is a painter in San Francisco. And she has painted all of our album covers. Um, and it was just serendipitous the way that we met. Um, it was at a concert that I was giving and uh, that I was part of. And we just started chatting and, oh, I'm a painter. And, oh, I have this jazz group. And, well, let me see your artwork. And, well, let me hear your jazz music. And um, we found that it's a really great fit, her visual art and our, uh, our music. And in fact, it's really neat. The third album, this Africa Love, the album artwork was painted by Peggy as she was listening to the rough mixes of our music. Wow. So she really painted this. It's, it's as collaborative, you know, as you could be at a distance. Um, and I think it's, a, I'm looking at the album cover right now and I think it's just beautiful. What, it is beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. And it has this kind of alchemical, experimental uh, flavor to it. Um, something abstract that gives you room to bring your own imagination kind of into it. Um, and I think our music does that. I think her artwork does that. Anyway, so yeah, so I was doing all this kind of work during the pandemic, putting it together. Uh, then there's the layout and then you have to create the CDs, you know, actually have them manufactured. Um, and we work with a, a radio publicist. We also work with a publicist in print, um, you know, and, and online media. And so there are a lot of pieces to the puzzle um, and I, I'm the producer of the group, so I was kept busy uh, touching bases with all these various people and sort of trying to coordinate the thing and, um, and finally release uh, the album and kind of be able to exhale and <laughs> sit back and say, wow, okay. <laughs> Yeah, we have something. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I it's it's a beautiful album, and I love the fact that it doesn't it transcends genre in a really good way. So, so thank you very much. I really appreciate having your time. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Hillary. It's been my pleasure. I find that uh, in, a, in, a, in an interview like this, where you're asking me these questions and kind of prodding me to think. Um, about my own artwork in ways that maybe I hadn't thought about it before, that it helps me to understand what I'm doing and what we're doing. And so I, I feel like I learn a lot from these uh, experiences and I, I thank you. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for joining me once more on Harmonious World. And I really hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. I love doing this and it's a great honor to be able to speak to such eminent musicians. As always, please do check out the links that I've put in the show notes. And if you enjoy listening to Harmonious World, please do share it with friends and family. You could do that on social media or you can send the link with a personal message. And please also consider leaving a review and a rating on whichever podcast platform you listen on. It really makes a difference and it's actually quite easy. So I'd be really grateful. You can also buy me a coffee. Now, 
we're getting to the point where people can buy me a coffee in real life, which is nice. But also there's a buy me a coffee link also in the show notes that will help support the show. Because obviously I've got costs in terms of the recording, the call itself that I make to these musicians and the editing and the whole process. Plus, of course, the hosting online. So please, if you can support me, I'd be really grateful. Thank you. So I began this podcast with an extract from Africa Love, the title track from this album. And you're listening now to some of The Fountain, which is David Aaron's contribution. So thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful week. Remember to share what you are good at and to make it a more harmonious world. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and it's a great delight to bring this series of discussions with musicians and composers and writers and all sorts of people to you. Obviously, there's no point in having a podcast if people aren't listening and I'm very grateful to my listeners for doing so. Thanks also to Joe English for composing and performing this new theme tune. So wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. You can share this with your friends and family, either as a link or on social media and that sort of thing. I'd be really grateful for that. Don't forget that you can subscribe now. There's a link wherever you get your podcasts. So have a great week. And please remember why I started this, which is just to try and make the world a little more harmonious. Thanks for listening to Harmonious World.